0: This morning we're back in 1 Peter, Um, we're working our way through verse Peter at the moment, just verse by verse, um, to see what um, God has to say through it. The methods of preaching that people often talk about is um, exegetical preaching, which is what this is, it's just a big fancy word to say that essentially we're trying to bring the meaning of the text out and make it known. So we're looking at the text and we say, well, what was the original author intending to say when he wrote this? And then how does that apply to our lives? So that's not the only way of preaching God's word. You can preach it topically as well when you say, okay, what does the Bible say about this topic? Let's say it's prayer or let's say it's fasting. And then you search the scripture for that topic to say, what does the the Bible have to say about this topic. There's even uh, prophetic preaching where it's more just the Spirit of God dropping a word into your heart that morning and you just declaring that word, and that is, that is fine as well. Um, but one of the things we wanted to do is just work our way through a book so that we as a church congregation can just dig deep in that book and gather the, the, um, the treasures that oftentimes we, we miss when we just skim through a book or we miss when we just do topical um, sermons. So 1 Peter chapter 2, Reading from verse 11 through to verse 17. So Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor." And God's people confidently said, "Oh, that was not confident at all." I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. It's one of those thorny passages where every Christian when they read it, they're like, "Oh ah e, uh. oh, how do I make my way through this one without feeling too guilty?" Um, yeah, no it, it is, it is, it is a, um, a a difficult passage for us, not so much because the principles are hard. The application of the principles can be quite hard. Um, so thinking it through with, with wisdom um, is something that we need to take time to do because we don't really want to fumble through these things. We want to be sure that we're walking in the light as God is in the light. We want to be sure that we're walking in love as God is a God of love. And we want to be careful, therefore, that these principles are lived out intentionally in our lives. And so as a caveat um, to not offend the Holy Spirit here this morning... I want to be really honest with you that there's some things I needed to repent of as I was working on this passage uh, for, this, for this morning. Even some things I need to repent of in the last two years uh, for things that have happened within our nation, attitudes that I've had, things that I've done, ways that I haven't obeyed and honored the, the government in ways that I don't think I can properly justify, even though in the moment, in my righteous Anger or something like that, I acted in a way or said things that I should not have done. And so I want to be really clear about that this morning, that I felt the prick of this passage as I prepared this sermon here this morning. Um, but I'd love for you to listen with an open heart here and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, are there things in my life, are there things that I'm doing, are there things that I'm saying that I also need to repent of here this morning? And uh, I trust the Holy Spirit as you open your heart up to Him will we'll, we'll do that job for you. Um, he's the one who leads us into righteousness. So let's just set the stage for a moment again. Um, our sermon series is called God's Family in Exile, because what's going on is Peter is writing to church um, churches and believers scattered throughout the region of Asia Minor. Now, that is basically modern-day Northwest Turkey. Um, So this isn't a mega church. It's not a big gathering of believers. This is nothing like the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus, where it's a a big amount of people all carried together, and the the, the significance, uh, the the Christians have a big number. These are scattered believers all throughout their region. They're probably gathering in um, small home churches. And uh, the intention of this letter is Peter writes this letter to them, believing that this letter is going to be passed around between the churches, and they're going to receive the instruction that he intended to give to them. Now, one thing that is really clear about these believers is that they are having a really hard time peter talks about suffering in this letter more than 10 times he mentions suffering and um they're suffering in different ways they're suffering just because of the the the, the general brokenness of living in this world that we're living in they're suffering the cost of love because he keeps calling them to love to love to love and love always comes with a cost because it means you've got to deny yourself take up your cross and serve other people and they're suffering because they're copying a whole lot of persecution. And this is what we're able to, to, to um, gather from this, from this letter. Now, he calls them at the start of this passage that we're looking at today, foreigners and exiles. Yes, because they're scattered abroad in this particular region. But he's using this idea that is so rich with theology to remind them that, hey, I know life is really difficult for you right now. I know that there is so much pain and so much suffering that all of you are experiencing. But please remember that this is not ultimately your home. This is not ultimately where you belong. You actually belong to the heavenly city. And one day Jesus Christ will return and that heavenly city will be fully established here on the earth. And you need to keep your eyes fixed on that as your goal, as your prize. Otherwise, you are not going to to be able to endure everything that you are experiencing right now. And so um, he calls them foreigners and exiles. And then he launches into the section, um, which essentially the heart of his message is, honor those who are in authority over you. Honor those who are in authority over you. Now, right here, he talks about honoring those that are in government, that, lead, that, that are over you. The next section, he'll address slaves and say, slaves, honor your masters who rule over you. Then he will address wives who are in the patriarchal society, we're living in, so they were general homes, the, 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 the men were in charge, they were leading, they were making calls. And he says, wives, honor your husbands that are ruling over you. And so he's speaking to these people in the context that they're in and saying, honor those who are in authority over you. And then he's applying it to all these different areas, government, slaves and their masters, and wives in the, in the, in the household. And so um, that's, the, that's the heart of the message here. So we see that in verse 13, verse 14, let me read that for us again. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. And then again, in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God and honor the emperor. Now, um, I knew that this topic was not going to get a wholehearted amen before, like I, like I said before. Because um, in our current political and social and economic climate, there is much that is unsettling us, right? Much that is unsettling us. Things have changed dramatically very quickly for us. And um, people have very different opinions on whether it's good or whether it's bad or what is good or what is bad. And so it's hard to know, okay, how do I feel about the government? How should I relate to the government? What should I say and what should I not say about the government? Many Australians feel really deep disappointment. They feel disillusioned. They even feel really frustrated and and, and angry towards those who are in power within our nation. They feel maybe as if the governments have let them down or maybe they've even been betrayed by the governments. There There are many that I know feel as though the government hasn't ruled with righteousness, justice and truth. But instead the governments allowed our country to sink deeper into moral decay. There are many that feel that our government hasn't led with integrity, but that they've lied and they've manipulated and they've dodged questions that they should have answered with clarity just so they could protect their own party or so they could protect their own name or so they could get more popularity and more votes. Many people feel that the government has made decisions that wasn't ultimately for the best of the people who they're responsible for, but rather for their own benefit, and it has actually cost the welfare of the nation in a significant way. There are many good people that feel these things. And I know many of you feel that as well because I've spoken to you about it. And so what do we do when we feel these things very deeply while this passage is written for you? You see, because if we're honest with ourselves, it is really easy to honor someone that we feel is worthy of honor. Repeat that. It's really easy to honor someone that we feel is worthy of honor. I remember when I was in high school, um, I had this teacher, Mr. Bettinson, who taught business office management, and he was so passionate about his job. He was excited when he showed up. He loved the topic, but not only that, he valued every student. He had assigned a nickname to every student in these two business office management classes, and he would call them by nickname. He would remember their nickname. It was a nickname that was, that was true to them. I think mine was something like Torpedo or something like that. And he would, he would call you by your nickname as you, as you, as you came in. And, and when, he, when he taught, it was evident that he had thoroughly prepared. He had all these engaging videos and all these awesome stories. And it made you excited to show up to class to learn about how to manage business. And when you, when you did your assignments for him, you wanted to do good because you just loved him so much as a teacher. Showing up late to class wasn't, or showing up early to class wasn't a hard thing to do because you valued him so much. And so we all get the point, right? It's easy to honor those that we feel is worthy of honor. But the situation here for the church that Peter is writing to is that they're being ruled by governors and an emperor that they don't feel as worthy of honor because these people are cruel and these people are abusing their power and these people are locking up Christians and, and killing them. And so these Christians are really struggling because they're saying, oh, they are making it so difficult for us. We would much rather just retaliate. We would much rather just run away. We would we'd much rather just you know, act in all sorts of ways that aren't appropriate for us as Christians. And so Peter's saying, guys, Remember, please remember, that these are the people that you need to be honoring. And, and he point, um, I want to point you to Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to verse 35, where Jesus makes this so clear for us. that This is the Christian way for us to honor those, even those that we don't feel is worthy of honor. It says in verse 32 of chapter 6 in Luke, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil." So, if we're going to be living as children of the Most High, it means that we don't have the right to choose between who we will honor and who we will not honor. It says, we as Christians, we love indiscriminately. We honor, doesn't matter what party you belong to. We bless, doesn't matter how you treat us. Full stop, end of the discussion. That's our approach as Christians. So, whether they're Labor or Liberal or Greens or United Party, whether we like their policies or we agree with their views on significant things like abortion or euthanasia, whether we believe they've handled the pandemic well, whether we're okay with the debt that the country is in and that they've put us in, it doesn't matter. The Christian response is that we will love and we will bless. And we will honor, irrespective of whether we like the person or the party. Same goes for the police force. One of the things that, that has saddened me so much, watching the news and seeing how the police has been treated and so much that has been going on within this country. Now, you can look at the police and say, well, they shouldn't be enforcing those laws that they're enforcing. You can say, okay, well, that police has acted totally inappropriately and should not have been so physical in dealing with that person. Maybe. But they're still the police. And they've still been appointed by God to enforce the laws of of the government. So whether you appreciate their actions, whether you like the way that they're treating you, you might not agree with the rules that they're enforcing, Our responsibility as believers is to give them honor full stop. You know, it's you think about it, if you've been pulled over by a policeman before when you've been perfectly in the right. In that moment, you can be tempted to give them a little bit of cheek. Even more so if they're talking to you with this attitude or like looking, looking down upon you as though they're better than you. No, we as Australians don't cope with that well at all. Don't make us feel that you think you're better than us. And it's very tempting in that moment to, to give them a bit of attitude in return. But we all know that's not right. Because they've been put in that position, a God-ordained institution. And it doesn't matter. We should be showing respect. Now, whether that's the guy pulling you over on the side of the road that you're seeing face-to-face or the cop that you see on Channel 9 News doing something in the city doesn't make a difference. And so, it's important for us to take time to consider these things and I want to highlight for you particularly because Peter knew what he was talking about and he knew what it was like To live under the rule of bad leadership. You think we've got things bad? It's a whole nother kettle of fish what Peter was facing in his day. So when he was a young guy, he was ruled by Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the guy that was responsible for the genocide of young boys in the days when Jesus was born. Herod heard that there was this, this king, this great ruler that had, had been born in this particular region, and he felt so threatened by this great king that he ordered that all the young boys in that whole region be murdered. Peter lived under the rule of Herod Antipas, who John the Baptist who had um, John the Baptist in prison for calling him out on his for um, calling him out for divorcing his wife and for marrying his niece. So John the Baptist called him out on that. And so for that, John the Baptist had to get locked up. But then one day, um, Herod was having a drunken party with some of his other governors. And uh, this new niece wife of his came to the party and did a sexual dance, a sexual performance for him and for his uh, co-leaders. And pleased him so much that he told her, hey, Herodias, I will give you Anything you want, even up to half of my kingdom. Does that sound like a responsible leader to you? Gets aroused in one particular moment by a sexually dancing lady. He says, I'll give you everything in my kingdom, even up to half of it. And she says, thank you very much. I'd like John the Baptist beheaded. And John the Baptist is killed. He did nothing about it. Peter lived under Herod Agrippa, who had persecuted the church, executed James the Apostle, and then even imprisoned Peter. And Peter probably would have been executed by him had it not been for the angel who showed up and miraculously broke him out of prison. And then most likely as he's writing this letter, he's under the, Emperor of, uh, he's under the rule of Emperor Nero, who had murdered his, his stepbrother, murdered his mother, had his wife executed, when a devastating fire broke out in Rome, in order to protect his own name, he blamed it on the Christians and said that they were the ones that had caused this great fire. He killed Christians for entertainment. He would wrap them up in the, the um, skins of animals and then set wild beasts free to um, devour them, and he would watch for entertainment. He was, it was said that in his own garden at night, he would impale Christians on poles alive and then light them a fire so that he would have candles to illuminate his garden for him at night. And on top of all of this, Nero claimed that he was a god that needed to be worshipped. That's the type of leadership that Peter is under when he's writing this letter. Just to put things into context for us. He had firsthand suffered significantly at the hands of corrupt corrupt leaders. His brothers and sisters in Christ had been killed by these leaders. He knew exactly what he was talking about as he wrote this letter. So, with all this being said, why are we called to live this way? Why does it matter? Because it's hard. It's hard, right? And so, does it really matter? in the bigger picture, can't you just give up, can't we just, you know, whatever, it's too hard, we're giving up, why do we do this, well, the key is in verse 13, he says, Peter says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, some of your translations will say for the Lord's sake, even more clear, even more explicit, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, submit to every human authority. So what are some things that we can conclude if Peter's saying, do this for the Lord's sake? Well, the first thing I want to point out to you is that even corrupt leaders are made in the image of God. Even corrupt leaders are made in the image of God. And I recently um, watched this documentary of, of a, um, like a treasure hunter, like a deep sea treasure hunter. Is very interesting. They um, they like study um, history and then um, look for occasions where, where ships sunk at different parts of the ocean. And then they go with all this machinery, all this technology, and they scan those parts of the ocean, trying to find um, these ships underwater with their radars. And then when they discover it, they do these deep-sea dives, and they go and um, dig up the treasure, hopefully, that those ships still have inside of them. And in this particular doco... Um, he was demonstrating some of the treasure that he had discovered from a uh, Spanish fleet of ships that had sunk after they went and got all this treasure from the um, the West Indies and then tried to make its way back. The ship tried to make its way back to um, to Spain and got caught up in a storm and the ship sunk. And so he's demonstrating um, all this jewelry and all this gold and things that he had, had found in the ship, millions of dollars worth of stuff. And um, But the thing is, though, with all that stuff lying underwater, you know, for hundreds of years, it doesn't look exactly the same as the day when the ship sunk, right? After time, some of it's eroded, it's had stuff growing on it, it's become dirty. And so what they do is they go through this process of very delicately extracting all this treasure and then with all these particular chemicals, washing it clean so that it's restored to its original beauty. Now, kudos to that guy for knowing that the treasure never lost its original worth. Yes, it's been covered by all sorts of dirt. Yes, it's had stuff growing on it. Yes, it's eroded in some ways, but the treasure is still the treasure. And that's the same with human beings. It doesn't matter how corrupt they become. It doesn't matter how far they sink into moral decay. It doesn't matter how much harm they do to other people. As horrible as that is, They are still treasures that have been made in the image of God. And that's what Jesus tells us. He says, your father in heaven, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He blesses the righteous and he blesses the wicked. So be like your father in heaven. He loves the most wicked and the most corrupt of rulers and says, so... You as my people, you as my sons and daughters, I call you to love and to honor in the same way. They still carry the image of God. And is this not what we see demonstrated so beautifully for us by Jesus when he dies on the cross? You know, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, could he not have retaliated that moment when the soldiers came to arrest him? Of course he could have. He even says to Peter, Peter, put away your sword. If I needed your help, I could have called down 72,000 angels in this moment to come and rescue me. When he's standing before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate is treating him in a way that's totally unfair, but Pontius Pilate can't find anything to pin him on. But yet he still let, allows an unruly crowd to pressure him into executing an innocent man. Could he not have called down fire from heaven like Elijah did? Of course he could have done that. Even as he's being dragged to the place of crucifixion, and he's being nailed to the cross, and lawless, as Peter tells us in Acts, lawless men are killing him. Could he not have done something about it? Of course he could have, but instead what he does, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He shows us, he gives us the example of even in the worst of circumstances, how to show honor to people when they're mistreating us. The second point I want to make about why we do this is because government is God's idea. Peter tells us in verse 14, the governments are sent by him, so that is by God. That's verse 14. We could put that up. Everyone, Thanks the governance as those sent out by him so that's god to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good so god loves order god god created the world with, with 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 order there are there are heavenly beings that have ranks and they all have different jobs and some of those heavenly beings obey the other heavenly beings and he put us in charge of the earth to rule over the earth and from the get-go we've had order like that we've had order in the family where it says children obey your parents honor your parents we've had order in the church where he says okay overseers you're responsible for leading the church and people obey and honor your 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 overseers with the government we could see it clearly he says the same thing God has put these people in charge to rule over you for our good as a society It is his idea. He is a God of order. Because without governments, life very quickly spirals out of control and into anarchy. You only need to consider what has happened in some of the African nations in the last couple of decades when their power has been overthrown and no one's really in charge, and you've got three or four different groups all trying to be in charge. There's no real rules, there's no one enforcing justice. It becomes an absolute mess. Think about some of the places in the Middle East where ISIS is overthrown and no new government has been established. It is absolute chaos. And so in that sense, even governments that aren't perfectly pure, which none of them are, when they're in place and they are ruling, to some extent, they do stem the flow of evil. And for that reason, God says it's good. He put it in place. We see this so clearly in, um, I mean, Peter says that they are there to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good, but Paul Fleshes this out for us, probably most thoroughly out of anyone. Romans 13, verse 1 to verse 7. i read that out for us and you can follow along up on the screen. It says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be Unafraid of the one in authority, do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. That's the government. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on those who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servant continually attend to these tasks... Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. God put them there for a reason. It's clear. We're supposed to honor. We're supposed to obey. Even that Logan Motorway toll. The amount of times I've thought, if only there was a way around this that could be just as quick. <laughs> Um, so God put them there. The third thing I want to point out, point out that Peter mentions here is that we represent Jesus to a watching world. We represent Jesus to a watching world. Verse 12, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. And then verse 15 of this passage says, for it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good, So what's interesting here is, you know, we often quote this passage to say that, you know, it's so important that we do good works because because of our good works, people will see our good works and they will honor God on the day he visits. And we use the good works to refer generally to the good things we do, like, you know, feeding the homeless or clothing the, the, um, the naked or helping with flood relief, things like that. And of course, the principle does apply to that. So you're not using the passage wrong if you're using it in that way. Most specifically, most immediately, what Peter is applying it to is the good works of obeying the government. He's saying when you live your life in such a way, the surrounding world that is observing you the whole time is going to see your behavior, and it's going to lead to them coming to glorify God themselves. So the day of his visitation, we're not exactly sure what that's talking about. It could be referring to the day when Jesus Christ actually returns and establishes His kingdom fully here on the earth, or it is referring to people getting saved in an individual moment, the day He visits that person. Luke speaks like that, and He visits that individual person and transforms their life. But the the essence of the point is the same. Honor your government, obey your government, submit to your government, because people are watching you, and as they see the way that you live, it's going to lead to their conversion. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. It's evangelism. you obeying the government. Because the world, you know, is continually looking for things to pin us on as Christians. They're looking for opportunities to say, aha, inconsistent. Aha, hypocrite. Aha, you tell others to love and do good, but you don't love and do good. The enemy is continually trying to find opportunities to sow lies about us as believers. And Peter is saying, hey, Live your life in such a way that is so evidently good that you even honor the government. And then the surrounding world, who's finding that so hard to do, just like you, is going to look at your life and go, Wow, there has to be something different about these people. You know, how can they be treated like that? How can they be executed? How can they be ostracized? How can they be driven out of their homes? How can they be, have, have all these lies spread about them and still they bless? And still they lay down their lives in service and still they try to do good where they can. What is wrong with these people? Or what is right with them? <laughs> Peter says it's going to lead to people being transformed. They're going to want in on what they see, what they see you've got. They will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Now, I'm sure you've all heard stories of where God has used people's lives just like that, haven't you? But God has used people's lives just like that. Because of their righteousness, family and friends have got saved because they've seen. They've seen with their own eyes. But we've also heard stories of the opposite, haven't we? Where Christians have done harm to the Christian message because of how they've treated one another, how they're related to government. I, I, I read a story in preparation uh, for the sermon um, of the days when America was being um, um, settled and um, settled by the West. End. Um, and there was this uh, preacher, this missionary from Boston who had gone to a Native American tribe and he was trying to tell them about Jesus and bring them to the point of conversion. And um, the, the the chief of the tribe and the... the, the um, The leaders of that tribe were listening very eagerly. They were very interested in what he had to say. And after he gave his presentation, the chief of the tribe said to him, "Um, we are very interested in the great spirit that you're talking about and the way that you say he should be worshipped, and we would love to learn more. He said, but we will never be able to believe what you tell us until we see your people treating each other kindly and your people treating us rightly. And he specifically mentioned the fact that these people had shown up in the lands and they were doing all these dodgy deals and driving them out of their, their, um, their lands in all sorts of unjust ways. He said, we cannot believe until we see your people acting kindly towards one another and towards us. And we have to be honest with ourselves, that's the way that the world is looking at us as well. Saying we would be willing to believe if we didn't see you as denominations fighting against each other so much, if we didn't see you, you know, acting on social media the way that you do, if we didn't see you be so hard-hearted and so unwilling to listen to people's opinions that are different to yours, am I right? Particularly that last point, we as Christians can act very arrogantly and be entirely unwilling to listen to people that don't have the same opinion as us. Quick to listen, slow to speak is the mandate that we're given. Peter um, touches on this again when he says "them, verse 16, Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Anticipating there might be some Christians about, Ha-ha, got you, Peter. We don't belong to this nation here, we don't, we're not citizens here in Asia Minor ultimately, we're citizens in heaven, so court you out there, we don't have to obey everything that the rulers give to us and Peter's like, on one hand you're right you're free, you're not ultimately citizens here, you're ultimately citizens there but the call of Christ is to go back into that world and use your freedom to serve and to bless and by this We will actually lead other people to come to know the Lord as well. And the last point I want to make is that this is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way. Why do we do it? This is the Jesus way. We see it in his life. So I know for certain that most of this room have been sitting here thinking, but there is a time where it is okay to disobey, right? And you're right, there is a time where it's okay for us to disobey. But we as Christians should be okay to listen to a passage like this and to stare it in the face and let the Holy Spirit apply it to our lives in the way that He needs to without straightaway going, but there is a back door. You know, there is a way that we can disobey, right? Right? Because we do that and we use that like broad stroke Application, go, there is, a, there is a back door. There is a way out. There is a way that we can disobey. And we use that broad stroke way too quickly when really it takes time for us to carefully consider, okay, how would God want me to act? How would God want me to deal with the governing authorities in this situation? But you're right. There is a time where it's okay to dishonor, uh, a time to disobey. Um, and that comes when authorities expect you to do something that would cause you to disobey God. Or cause you to go against conscience now, your conscience isn 't always right, just to add that in as well. Your conscience should be weighed up against god 's word as well, but it 's still wrong for you to go against your conscience, so that 's also a good enough reason to not obey. Um, so we see this in Acts chapter five when the apostles are told that they 're not allowed to preach the gospel anymore, and um, they 're in jail there um, they 're jailed up for it. And then they're released under the condition that they won't go and preach the gospel. And what do they do? They go straight out and preach the gospel. And then people go and dob on them and say, the guys that you just released are preaching the gospel. And this is what they say. It says, we must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom you have murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Verse 32, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has chosen to give to those who obey Him. So, we must obey God rather than people. And there are many situations where you will find yourself being cornered, being pressured by those in authority to do something that would actually cause you to disobey God. And so whether that's parents, whether that's bosses, whether that's the government, in those situations, you are supposed to disobey because you're doing it in allegiance to God. But what I do want to make so clear is that disobeying them at that point does not give you permission to dishonor them at that point. Now, they might say that your disobedience is dishonor, and that's fine because that's the way that they see it. But I want it to be very clear that from your perspective, you're still going to speak to them in a way that is kind and affirming their worth. You're still going to treat them in a way that acknowledges their dignity and the position that they are in with the the role that they have. And this is also where I see so many Christians misstepping because they say, oh, we have permission to disobey. And then they go the next step and start dishonoring as well in the way that they act. But if you look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego where, where um, they're told that they got to go bow down to the idol um, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the king, And um, they refused to do so. And then they're called to go and to explain what's going on. If you look at the way that they speak to the king, it is still so full of honor. They say, essentially, king, they still call him king. We understand what you're saying. We understand what you're doing. But we cannot do this. And if you decide to execute us, you can execute us. Our God might save us. Our God might not save us. But either way, we can't bow down to you, or this idol that you've made of yourself. The way that they speak is still so evidently from a kingdom that is not off this world. Because you put any other person in that situation, they're going to be retaliating, they're going to be dishonoring, they're going to be speaking against. But you put a Christian, you put a follower of Yahweh in that situation, and the light still shines, even when they have to disobey. That's the encouragement that I want to give you here this morning. Yes, there will be times where we must disobey, but let it be done in a way that still puts on display the fruit of the Spirit. Even if there are times where you've got to be confronting, you've got to speak straight. You see Paul standing before courts and speaking very straight. You see Peter speaking very straight, saying, you guys executed Jesus. It doesn't mean you've got to a big marshmallow and never speak straight you can speak straight you can call sin for what it is but nonetheless still doing what you can to acknowledge them in the position of authority that they are in and giving them the honor that they deserve whatever that might look like in that particular context is that making sense yeah not asking whether you agree necessarily does that make sense Okay, awesome. This is the Jesus way. And now, as I wrap up this morning, there's one thing I want to look at. It's the very first verse of this section. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. That applies to all sin because the wages of sin is death. So when you give yourself over to sin, acting in ways that are disobedient towards God, it destroys you, it destroys the people around you. And there's eternal consequences for it as well. The Bible warns us about time and time again, there's a judgment that is coming and things aren't going to go well for you, that judgment, if you've been giving yourself over to sin. So wages war against the soul. But in this context, I think it's so important for us to ask the question, well, how does sinning against my government, wage war against my soul. And um, there's two things that I want to highlight that I see happening really often in the church. The one is that we don't realize how numbing and how hardening sin is no matter where you do it. No matter where you do it. So you're driving on the road, And you time and time again against the witness of your conscience to choose to speed just that little bit. You time and time again against the witness of your conscience choose to use your phone. You pay your taxes and you just, you're not 100% truthful in saying how much you owe to the government. You do it against your conscience. You keep doing that time and time again. You're doing harm to your own soul. It's going to hinder your ability to connect with God and to love other people. Sin always does that. And so, you know, we love to think of ways that we can beat the system. I'm I'm an addict for thinking about ways I can beat the system. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm always trying to think of doing things quicker, better, somehow like not you know, being stuck in the system like everyone else. And so we think, oh, you know, I've just cut a little corner here. It's just, it's okay if I use my phone a little bit in this way. And we excuse these things, but every time we do it, it just hardens us that little bit more. And I want to warn you against that because sin against the government's the same. When you're slandering leaders, when you're saying things about leaders that you don't necessarily have the information on, but you're sharing it as though it's fact, Those things does things to your heart. It does things to your soul. There's consequences for it. And Jesus says that on the day of judgment, every careless word that you spoke will have to be given an account for. So that's the first thing I want to warn. The second thing I want to warn you about is the devastating effects of judging people and condemning them. And for some reason, we feel like doing that with leaders It's one of those areas that we, we might have a little bit of permission to do, but we don't. I want to take you to Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to verse 38. Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use... It will be measured back to you. Have you ever noticed how people that walk around with bitterness and resentment in their heart, doesn't matter to who it is, whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend, whether it's someone in government, whether it's a boss, that bitterness and resentment eats them up like a cancer from the inside out. It eats them up like a cancer. Hebrews, we say, we are warned of the root of bitterness that defiles many. So if you're in a situation where you are being mistreated and you allow yourself to go into that situation of condemning and judging and harboring bitterness and harboring resentment, you have to know that you are opening yourself up to the influence of spiritual beings that stoke those fires. And in your own heart, that bitterness and that resentment will only grow. And you see these people, I and mean, they've had a lifetime of bitterness that they've carried towards a parent for doing something that they did. Maybe they had an abusive father that hurt their mother and hurt them as children, and they've been living with that bitterness for 50, 60, 70 years. The people that witness that person see an angry man or angry woman. They see someone that, 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 that can't control their temper, They hurt the ones around them. But why is it? It's not because they don't love the ones around them. It's because they've got this bitterness that has been sitting there for all these years. And what I want to warn you about, that if you do not forgive, and if you do not give judgment over to the Lord and say, Lord, it's your job to judge, not mine. I'm not going to walk with this bitterness and resentment in my heart. I'm going to try to love and see the good where I can see the good. If you don't do that, it will corrupt you and eat you up from the inside out. So I want to give you that, that warning. But also, I want to ask you this morning, in a moment, as, as the music team actually comes up, that'll be great. I want to ask you this morning to please, please, even this morning, go before the Lord. And if you recognize that there's anything in your heart like that, I want you just this morning to put it at the altar of the Lord. I had recently had an experience just like this. where I didn't even re- realize but there was judgment building up in my heart towards a person. It was building up, it was building up, it was building up. And it started affecting my lives in ways that wasn't good. And I, and I wasn't sure why all this was going on. Like, why is it? what's going on with me? Why am I acting these ways? Why am I doing these things? And then one day I was in prayer, and the Holy Spirit hi- highlighted this exact text to me. This exact text, and it said to me, you've been judging someone in a way that you don't have permission to judge. And for two days I went before the Lord and saying, Lord, please help. Lord, please help. I don't want this in my heart. I don't want this bitterness. I don't want this resentment. And the Lord lifted the burden from me. Finally, I was able to love the person again and value that person again and see them the way that God sees them. And the anger, and the frustration that was showing up in the other parts of my life, it just disappeared. The root of bitterness had been dealt with. And with a government that is acting in ways that you don't appreciate, it's so easy for you to let a root of bitterness develop there towards them, it's so easy. But don't let it happen. Don't let that happen. God has called us to a higher way of living, a more beautiful way of living. And there's real freedom when we follow him on that road. So can you please stand with me? I've got a couple questions for you here this morning. is in what ways can you go from here today and honor those in authority over you better? Allow the Holy Spirit to highlight some things to you. thing I want to ask you is um, is there any bitterness or any resentment in your heart towards authority that you need to put at the foot of the cross this morning before we leave God doesn't want you to carry that burden, it's His job to judge and He knows how to do it in a way that's righteous He wants you to be free from those feelings of anger. He wants to restore your sleep to you. He wants you to be in control of your emotions. I'm not saying that what the offender has done is right, and I'm not saying that nothing needs to be done about it, comes to our governing authorities, we have ways that we can do things about it. We can vote. We can spread information if the information is true. There's things that we can do, but there's no point carrying that resentment and that bitterness in your heart. And so is there something like that that you need to give up to the Lord this morning so you can be free from it? last thing I want to ask you is um, in what ways can you better shine the light of Christ to a watching world so they might see the goodness of God and display in your life and come to call upon Christ as their own Saviour Holy Spirit we just ask you to help us answer these questions to shine your light on whatever you um, want to shine your light on. Lord, we ask you for forgiveness, Lord, for the ways that we have poorly navigated the last two years. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have spoken. Forgive us for the things that we've said and done. Forgive us, God, for um, things that we have harbored in our hearts. And um, we just ask you, Lord, for that life-giving power that you promise us, Lord, to, to change us. We thank you, Lord, that you don't just leave us with commands to obey, but you also give us your your spirit to empower us, Lord, to live a different life. And so we look to you this morning, and we just invite your Holy Spirit to help us to live this life. Lord, if you empowered Peter to do it and, if you empower those Christians in Asia Minor to do it in the same way, Lord, empower us to do it. Lord, we too want to live a life that is just supernaturally enabled by you, that doesn't make sense to a watching world. And Lord, we know we, there's probably lots of questions that we might have to do with this. Like how do these principles apply when the rubber hits the road? And we just look to you, God, to lead us through that situation by situation, case by case. Lord, we don't have all the wisdom, we don't have all the answers, but we know that you are faithful and that you give generously wisdom to those who ask. And so lead us forward, Lord. Be our captain. Show us what to do. Show us how to live. So we just commit all this to you this morning, Lord. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.